Oh boy! It's another edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We're coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We are 24 hours mm. away from the NHL trade deadline. And at this point, we are hoping it arrives soon. Canucks made a splash yesterday. Is we that were what on you the call air it? for it. Well, yep. A belly flop. Uh, there's Hey, there's reports out there, but they're not done. They got more things cooking, more big moves. Uh, if it follows the pattern of the last couple days, that's, set your alarm for like 145. That's terrifying, by the way. Yes, we wait with dread to see what the next 24 <laughs> hours will bring for the Vancouver Canucks. Wild, eh? Uh, I mean, so we were on the air um, while the trade broke, and I think our instant reaction was pretty strongly against the logic of the deal. And for anybody hoping that you or me more likely is going to do the thing where you come on and say, you know what? After Having 24 hours, about it. a sober second thought, I've reconsidered and I I see what they were going for here. I don't. No. I do not. I'm, I still. The more the more I look at it, the more like, let me let me put it this way. So Heronix 4.4 yep. this year and next. Which means he's going to get a significant raise in a, in a defenseman economy where, like, Jake Wallman's a $4 million player now, mm-hmm. right? What do you think Connor Clifton's going to be after this season? Yeah, I don't know. Four times five? Yeah. Four and a half times five? Five times five? Like, maybe. Right? In, into that economy, you're probably doing the next Ronick deal. Meaning him and Petey are both going to have a big lift coming to them at the exact same time. Meaning you've opened up a one-way window. A one-year one window. window. There, there's a lot of – now that they've done this trade, there's, like, this weird perverse logic where next year is, like, an all-in year. You no, know, it is an all-in year. Like, because I, I called – Straight up I, I was is. making this point on Twitter, and I called Ronick a, a core player, and somebody took issue with that. Well, I don't know what else to call a 25-year-old who you just gave up those types of assets and immediately becomes, like, at worst, your fourth or fifth best skater. Probably, at worst, your fourth best skater. Like, that's a core player. He's a core player. So you've got two of your core players now, including your clearly your best player in Elias Pettersson, who are going to become significantly more expensive after next season. Just look how teams operate typically in those circumstances. They feel a lot of pressure to win. Look how the Canucks typically operate. They are going to feel a lot of pressure to win next season no, and no. continue to bolster their team. It is without question. Next season's an all-in year. That's what we said, right? When I, when I described it as a franchise-defining risk yes, last yesterday, right? Like... On next season. Like, it's an it's a make the playoffs or else. And and look, good luck to them. You know, I hope we get to cover some meaningful games. Right? Like, I hope it's fun. I hope it's fun because I don't know that it's sustainable. So let's at least hopefully get some fun into next year. Let's hopefully not get to November and be like, well, they're out of the playoffs. <laughs> you know, like, that's that's what boggles my mind so much. Like, how do you watch this team fail to get out of the first month of the season? Three consecutive years, right? They've won a third of their last 200 games in regulation. A third. Mm -hmm. 65 out of 200. 
Like, how, how are you all in on this group? I just, honestly, that's the part that I just can't understand. Like, am I missing something? And the thing is, am I missing not, something like, watching this team you, play? You start because because we did our instant reaction to the deal and all that, and so we start to kind of okay. Well, what are the next steps? What are the dominoes that are going to fall? And we'll get into that, but. Once you accept that logic, right, that this is a move which really pushes your chips in for next year to to try to improve the team solely for next year to try to make a playoff push, man, there's still a ton of work, a ton of work to be done on this roster to get them in a position where you're going to feel at all confident about their chances to make the playoffs. Now, look, when you have Thatcher Demko, you have Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, you're going to have a shot, right? There's a shot that all of the stars align and you end up in one of the two wildcard spots. Of course, that's a possibility. But to be more than just a possibility, to be a favorite or to be a likelihood to make the playoffs, wow, is there a lot that needs to be done. And you start to think about, okay, well, now that they've done this move, what does it necessitate that they do, right? If you are hell-bent on making the playoffs next year, you still desperately need to figure out a way to carve out salary cap space. The amount of salary that this management group, this management group has added to next year's cap since they've been in charge is staggering. It's almost $30 million at this point. And really the only cap they've cleared from next year is the Jason Dickinson salary, which they did kind of in two parts, ultimately getting rid of Riley Stillman uh, earlier this month. At a high cost, but At a way. cost. Right? Like a second round pick is actually above market to clear the amount of salary. Like... Zaitsev cost a second and a sixth, four and a half million dollars worth of cap space, right? There's no other team paying a second to clear 2.7. So it's like, even if you want to be like, yeah, and they cleared the Dickinson, they paid too much to do it. Why did they pay too much to do it? Because they wanted Stillman, mm -hmm. who didn't work. You know, even today, like just a little thing, just a little thing, but JT Miller might play tonight, said Rick Tockett. Wasn't he week to week three days ago? Yes. He was. Like, at, at what point does just the accumulation of nonsense add up to a point where you have to shake your head? Like, can we go three hours without nonsense? I don't even need, like, a grand plan. I don't need, you know, all-out competence. Give me a few days where it's like, hey, look, they relieved a coach, but they did it, you know, the way that it's normally done. He wasn't hanging around for a week with fans chanting his name. Like, oh, they fired a coach um, on their on their video staff right before the season, and now there's an HRC complaint. Or, oh, you know, a player got hurt and his timelines got extended, but that sometimes happens, not what's going on and insiders reporting there's maybe going to be a grievance down the line. And on and on. I mean, what's happening here? Nothing good right now. No, the baseline level of competence feels like it's through the floor, which means that when they take a big all-in risk on Heronic, and it sort of flies in the face of all conventional, not even all conventional, like all logic, right? The Canucks just bought with a first and a second paid from the 27th, like the perch of 27th in the NHL by point percentage, right? They have more cap space committed for next season than the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right, This management group that talked about how it's vital that you you have cap space if you're not particularly good have more cap space committed for next season than anybody else in the league. 27th in the NHL. And they're making win-now moves? I, I, it just, it doesn't make sense. None of it, none of it adds up, man. 
And the most frustrating thing for me about the deal is, well, here, let's, I'll turn it around. Okay, the best part of the Bo Horvat deal, right? And people forget, <laughs> probably forget, but early to start the show yesterday, I was pretty strongly defending the Bo Horvat deal and the performance of this management group going into this deadline. I called it a qualified success. There was more I'd like to see done in terms of harvesting assets, but I called it a qualified success. No, no, success. not that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you want to see more, do you? Yeah. But the the biggest reason I was positive is because when you looked at the return of the Horvat deal, it suggested... I, so, sorry, I just need to read this text. Go ahead. The trade deadline is tomorrow. They can move out lots of salary before then. You guys need to settle down a little bit. It's from from uh, Jake and Imo. Who's moving lots of salary at the deadline, man, without paying to do so? But also, like, it ain't easy. So, okay. Are they going to move Besser? Are they going to move Garland? I would be a little surprised, but, but maybe. But, like, but they're going to try. Those are useful players. Yeah, they're going to try, though. Those are useful players, though. So it's not as if you've instantly improved your team. If you do that, that's a lot different than moving like Tyler Myers and OEL, where you're just desperate to get off them. Those are still players that can help you. Yeah. Anyways, I was going to say Sorry, the most yeah. positive part about the Bo Horvat trade was the fact that, and, and remember the quote from Don Waddell, right? Which was, hey, they were all in on getting the best possible first round pick. And you hear that and you see the return they get and the young prospect, the legit prospect in Atu Ratu. And you could look at that and say, all right. They are taking the long view. They are looking towards the future, and maybe it's not going to be as extreme a rebuild as you want. Maybe it won't be quite as patient as you want, but it's going to be a lot different than what we've seen in the past because they're actually harvesting those futures. They're actually stocking the cupboards with draft, with draft picks, with prospects. Now, it's just a reminder that, no, it's actually not going to be like that. Right, it's going to be more of the same, and then you start like we're joking off the top of the show. Okay, what's this next big move going to be? And instead of being hopeful, instead of being optimistic or excited, there's this kind of looming sense of oh boy, oh boy, what's coming down next? How many times have we talked about the possibility of an Oliver Ekman Larson buyout? And I've said consistently, it makes me extremely nervous. The only way you do it is if you are weaponizing that cap space and getting future assets with the cap space you open up for Oliver ekman Larson. Now, one, I think there's a very good chance that they buy out Oliver ekman Larson this summer, but it's clearly not going to be with the future in mind. It's going to be because they need to improve the team in the here and now, and that is the worst rationale for buying out Oliver ekman Larson. but it feels almost inevitable to me at this point. Like, if they don't, if they don't buy out Oliver ekman Larson. Okay, they're going to have Quinn Hughes making over seven, OEL making seven, and a year from now, Philip Ronick making whatever he makes on his next deal. And I just don't see any way you can do that and hope to flesh out the rest of your blue line. So they've how many times have we seen this, right, where you commit bad money and then you're constantly on this treadmill trying to get out of it and you just keep kicking the debt down the road and they're going to do the same thing with the OEL deal and it's going to become a millstone. It's going to be something that's prevents them from having salary cap flexibility, and we're just going to keep going on this cycle of making a bad decision and then chasing it with more bad decisions that get you deeper into a hole. One thing that's coming in a lot in the text inbox, because I, I think you're dead on, and and one thing that keeps coming in is um, they gave you a plan and they're sticking to it. They said this loud and clear, and they did. Yeah, so, but I'll let you go first. No, no, go ahead telegraphing that you're going to make a bad decision does not actually excuse you from making the bad decision. <laughs> like, if you yeah, tell your right. partner, if you tell your partner, you know, I'm going to sell our really reliable car and then, like, go into debt to buy a sports car that we don't need, and your partner says, please don't do that, 
and then you do it. You can't be like, well, look, I told you. I told you I was going to do it. Why, why are you angry? This is my plan, and I'm sticking my to plan. it. That's what I said I was going to do. It's like, that's not an excuse. I, I have a lot doesn't of- make it better. So I also think, like, if you wanted win-now pieces for Bo Horvat, why didn't you trade Bo Horvat for win-now pieces? You know? Like, there's good win-now pieces available from teams that would have had interest in Bo Horvat. You know- you think about like the Brandon Carlo rumors. You think about some of the players on the Carolina Hurricanes that are pretty close to contributing, if not already contributing. Like there, if you wanted players, you could have gone a- about getting players. If the plan is improve the team for next season, and you have Horvat out, Beauvillier, Hironic, Ratu in, you haven't made the team better, right? Like, you, you haven't. I'm sorry. Like, Horvat is a better player than the combination of those other guys, no matter how big this team's need is on the back end. Right? If if your goal is to be better for next season and retool quickly, how do you justify getting Philip Peronic over Jacob Chikorin, who costs roughly the same price, give or take a 2026 20, second? It doesn't make sense. Like, even on... Its own terms. This is a bad plan. This is an inefficient car. That's 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 why I'm really struggling. Like, I'm trying to make the hockey case for this, right? And it's like, I don't view Philip Peronic as a top pair guy, but but I sort of see him as like a stand-in or like a comparable player for like a, a Brandon Montour. Right? Like sure. really good top four defenseman who can move the puck and, and has some offense. Montour is a little bit more physical. Uh Hironik's a little more dynamic offensively. Okay, great. That's a good piece. I like Brandon Montour. I like Philip Peronic. Right? One thing that he hopefully helps you do, right, is we talked about Quinn Hughes the other day. Canucks are plus 19 with Quinn Hughes on the ice, minus 43 with him on the bench. There's a lot to talk about what, what can Hironic do playing with Hughes, but the problem is, is, you know, they're both offensive rather than defensive. They're both undersized. I'd be pretty surprised if Rick Tockett looks at those two and thinks that's my top pair, although he has played Bear with mm-hmm. Hughes a fair bit. But if Ronick can turn, you know, half of your minus 43 minutes into even, it doesn't even need to be plus, even, well, th- that gets you a long way toward being at least respectable, at least decent. But you still need help there. Like, you still need help there. You don't have the cap flexibility to keep improving this team. You don't. You're going to have to probably pay, particularly because you've made these moves before clearing flex. Right? And then here's the other thing. You've taken yourself out of the market in a lot of ways, partly because of the assets you've parted with and partly because of the cap space you've now committed, to doing things like when Boston gets pressed up against the cap, Seeing if they'll part with Brandon Carlo for 50 cents on the dollar or seeing if they'll part with Derek Forbert for 50 cents on the dollar or pursuing Connor Clifton in free agency, right? Or Sam Girard is like a standout to me is like, that guy's going to be available this summer. Their cap problems are going to be too significant. Like there's a natural pressure in the cap system where good players shake loose as teams make tough choices. We've seen this in Vancouver. JT Miller was acquired in this manner, Mm -hmm. right? And we've seen it with defensemen in particular over the last few years. Like, every year there's a prize. And what are the prices paid? Right? Devon Taves for two seconds. 
Adam Graves went for something similar. Ryan Graves, but yeah. What did I say? Adam Graves. Ryan Graves went for something similar. And John Marino went for something similar, right? Mm-hmm. A recent first-round pick and uh, an third. additional pick. So those teams wait, take their time, are patient, not desperate, not reactive. If you have a really good plan, why are you paying deadline prices for the sort of piece that shakes loose every offseason at a reduced cost. That's not a plan. So I'm really, I'm really not here for like, this is consistency. No, it's not. This is almost unjustifiable. It makes no sense. I haven't heard from a single person in the business who thinks this deal makes sense. Not a single one. People like the player. I've heard some people like defend the player. People, oh, yeah. people will mean, text him and be like, "Don't sleep on Heronic. He's really useful." I, I don't. I don't know, but I've heard a single person be down on the player. Like maybe yeah. some people question, "Okay, is he a fit with Hughes? What like what? What's oh, sure, the defensive yeah, yeah. like that." But the overall picture, I think everyone's been extremely rosy on the player, but, and, and but rightfully no, so, fairly so. No one understands what this team is doing, and no other team in the league is behaving in this manner. That's a big red flag, and you know you look around. I, you look around, it's not like, it's tough because there's no, you'd, you'd love to play devil's advocate. I'd love to zig when everyone else zags in mm. terms of their take. I don't know if you know this about me, but that's something I... Really? You, you like to be contrarian? I'm a little so bit often? of an opinion hipster, right? Like, I like to be there before everyone else. That's, an opinion hipster. Yeah, that's what I am. <laughs> that's why I'm like, <laughs> Will Borgen! Anyway. Um, but, but we can't lie to you. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> like, like, we can't a, lie to you. A regular texter actually texted in uh, Keith, who's a great regular texter, frequent listener, and you know said something along those lines like, man, I would love to hear a different perspective. Like, I get it. These aren't necessarily positive moves, but it's just tough to be doing this. And I texted back like, I agree. And I think you know me, Drance. I am not, I, I'm not like rubbing my hands together with glee to come on and carve the team. That's not really what I want to do. Like my, You guys all saw my reaction to the trade. You guys all saw yeah, my live. Real time. That, that was, was real time. Not staged. Not strategizing. Not like, okay, what are we gonna say about this trade? That was real time. I didn't learn about the trade and be like, hey, hey, hey <laughs> let's go. Time to get clicks with my negativity. <laughs> like that's not. I was like, no, yeah, no, that's really too bad. Because these picks could have been big. The, the, like I thought the Canucks were poised to at least begin to do something. That, that, that could potentially, and I didn't have hope that they'd like be as disciplined about it as I've called for, but it, in this season and next season with two like Vancouver born kids at the very apex of those two draft classes with like a fair bit of talent in both, right? Because one thing people aren't talking about enough, like people are sleeping on the 2024 draft class and that's fair. There's no Connor Bedard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's like four guys in this draft class that would probably be uh, consensus number ones next year. But, like, there's, like, three really good RD that are going to go in the top ten. You know, like, that's an interesting draft class to me, especially from Vancouver's perspective. Um, You know, I sort of looked at it as this is an opportunity where, you know, if the club is Dallas, right? If you get the the, the Haskinen, Ottinger, Robertson Hall, if you get one guy who's like your McAvoy, if you get one guy like your Pasternak, maybe... You can salvage something here, but the Canucks are so intent on just lowering the ceiling of this team, right? Like, that's fundamentally the issue. Hironic's a good player. 
who because he because of the cost to acquire him three years from now lowers the ceiling of this team permanently permanently yeah and the ceiling of this team already is like maybe a playoff team like they you'd already fundamentally fundamentally compromised your ability to contend meaningfully in Pedersen and Hughes's primes but yesterday felt like the final nail and there's a lot I want to get to. There's the quick comparison, you know, and I think this is a it's an interesting comparison is to the JT Miller trade, right? Where you're giving up a, a valuable first round pick for a, a mid uh, a mid twenties player who you think can really help you and fills a need on your team. And now the difference is JT Miller was cost controlled for longer than Philip Ronick. Yeah, Philip Ronick's an RFA, so there's some interesting dynamics there. But you had absolute cost certainty on JT Miller uh, for I think four years when they acquired him and. You look at back at the JT Miller trade, and let's set aside the extension, right? But just for the years they acquired him when he was under contract, when they got him, you would say, hey, that was a great deal. A first-round pick for the performance that JT Miller gave you? That's fantastic. The team didn't win anything, right? Like, yeah, it was a it was a fair trade for that player. The player performed well for the most part, but the team never took that next step. And it's very easy to see something similar happening with Philip Ronick here, right? Where... Yeah, he looks good. He looks like he justifies the cost. He doesn't fall flat on his face here. It's not a Nate Schmidt situation, but the team doesn't take the next step. That's the bigger question. In a vacuum, hey, a first for Philip Ronick, sure. Is he worth that? Sure. Is it going to help this team take that next step, help this team win something meaningful while Ronick is here? I just think the chances of that are too slim to justify the cost. And just quickly on the the idea of the draft picks and, the, the, you know, they trade this pick, and so you. One of the responses we've got a lot in the inbox on Twitter, wherever, is, well, what you know, a first round pick's not going to help you for three or four years. So what's what's the point? You guys, they need help now. Is every other team in a league and a sport that has a draft wrong for valuing draft picks? Like, is every other bad team, which prioritizes bad or draft picks over everything else, have they all got it wrong? And the Canucks are the only team that see things clearly. Like, is Nashville out of their minds for trading Granlund and Niederreiter for picks and Ekholm for picks? Do they, do they, have they failed to grasp something? Like, I don't even know how to begin explaining why teams should, why bad teams should value draft picks. It's just, that's what everyone does, and there's a reason for it. And there's a reason for it. What yeah. is this idea? It's like, the team's still going to be needing to win games in three or four years, and it might be really helpful to have some young, cheap players coming up at that point. Well, let's dwell on that on the other side, because... The Stevie Eiserman tell that the Canucks clearly failed to read is, a, is an interesting factor here. We will do that uh, first. Let's go to the trade desk, though. Uh, the trade desk brought to you by Jags Furniture and Mattress, the Lower Mainland's favorite furniture and mattress destination. Visit Jags showrooms in Langley and Abbotsford or online at jagsfurniture.ca. Producer Dom at the trade desk. Thank you, Ben. Uh, the LA Kings, or not the LA Kings, rather, the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights have made it official. They have traded for goaltender Jonathan Quick. Man, I, had, I just had it, and now I've, wow. I've lost everything. Uh, this is embarrassing. You might be getting booted off the trade desk, Tom. <laughs> this is tough. I had it, and it just went away. All right, here it is. Okay, hold on. Man, this is rough. Uh, we have acquired Jonathan Quick from the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for Michael Hutchinson and a 2025 seventh round pick. Man, that was a 2025 seventh round pick. Wow, worth the wait though for that blockbuster uh, John- return. Jonathan Quick, 
You know, Jonathan, there's nothing quick about that trade desk. There's nothing quick about that trade desk. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dom. We'll, we'll, we'll do better next time. Technology won't fail me. We'll do next better time. next time. We'll take a break. More Canucks talk coming up. 650. 650. Uh, it's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Maui Jim Sunglasses. Born on the beaches of Hawaii, Maui Jim Sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. Uh, Producer Dom is going to have a chance to redeem himself after that performance just before the break. We've got another trade desk update. Uh, Two trades to announce. Elliot Friedman reporting that uh, he's hearing Chicago have acquired Anders Bjork from the Buffalo Sabres, and Frank Cervelli reporting that the Oilers have acquired Nick Bukestad from the Coyotes. No returns yet reported. Nick Bukestad to the Oilers. That was the trade I wanted. Uh, That was the team I... Congratulations. Thank you. That was the the low-stakes trade that you were desperate for. They they listen to the show, clearly. (laughs) Hey, I love to nail low-stakes trades. That's my favorite. The Trade Desk is brought to you by Jags Furniture and Mattress, the Lower Mainland's favorite furniture and mattress destination. Visit Jags Showrooms in Langley and Abbotsford or online at jagsfurniture.ca. Hey, uh, the trade deadline continues to be, I mean, those are minor moves, but still lots of activity, lots of intrigue uh, on the trade market. And uh, we'll see what it develops here in the next 23 and a half hours. So we were talking about the draft pick thing, and I was making the point, like, what do the Canucks think they know about the draft that every other bad team in the league and other leagues doesn't know? Why, why is every other team content to acquire draft picks and hoard draft picks uh, except for the Canucks? And variations on this reply i pointed to nashville who's selling off players uh for future assets in addition to detroit in addition to other teams you could look at that are doing it and a few texts along this line or along these lines came in nashville doesn't have pd uh and yossi is 30 plus bro and this one as well no not every other team already has pd and hughes you guys don't get it and that's one of the other big defenses of this trade that no, I've seen we don't in even our have, We don't even have to give win to it. The idea that you're, this is going to prevent you from wasting elite seasons from Pedersen. Oh, sorry. Okay, that, that one. Right? You, well, it's you, I thought thing. you were going to bring up the uh, the now, like, you had to do this so Pedersen would stay. No, 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 no. This was like... Because that might be the worst This was you have the these two elite players, so draft picks that might contribute three or four years down the road shouldn't mean anything to you. You right. should go convert them into players that can help you win right now. The choice isn't – and you still people will say, like, well, they can't tank with these guys, which is fair. I think we've seen that this year. We've seen that recently, right? If you have a healthy Demko, Pedersen, and Hughes, you're not going to be among the worst teams in the league. It ain't easy. You're not going to. That's fair. But it's such a false dichotomy, this idea that your only two options are absolute tear it down to the studs, rebuild, and be the worst team in the league for three years, or – Trade your really good first-round picks for guys right now. 
It's that's just not how it works. It's a spectrum. Mm. There are actually other strategies you can pursue. There are other ways to try to build your team that you're allowed to pursue that would give you a lot better chance of succeeding than this one. And again, the choice is not between, you know, wasting their prime or making these picks by or making these trades. By making these trades, you're there's a very good chance you're locking yourself into just perpetual mediocrity with these guys. Like to me, the fact that you have these core players is why you should be really disciplined in a disciplined way trying to build for two years down the road so you can still capture some of their best seasons with an appropriate supporting cast around them the teams that have retooled sig- like successfully without an extended stretch of like really being bad here there's a common thread right so i often cite dallas right dallas is a team that's gotten really good without an extended stretch of being bad over the last, you know, 15 years, right? They were mm-hmm. they were good under Tippett and Hitchcock. They had a brief, like, hiccup under Mark Crawford, but they were still in the playoff mix those years. Like, they still occasionally made the playoffs those years. Um, it, you know, the, the sustained, like, four times picking in the top five in a five-year stretch period, that it's hard to find that for Dallas in the last 15 years. And they've sort of emerged, I, I largely think because of luck, but... They get the lottery luck in 2017. Mm -hmm. They trade up and get Ottinger. So they have four picks in the first two rounds that year. They trade up and get Ottinger. And then they nail the Jason Robertson pick in the second round. Those draft picks, right? How have the Boston Bruins done it? There's a lot of things you can discuss. Patrice Bergeron, I mean, we do it all the time. Patrice Bergeron... Uh, throwing age curve age curves into the garbage is is a major theme, but nailing Pasternak and McAvoy in the middle of the first and late first is the nitrous that has per- permitted that team to keep their window open. Um, Robert Thomas and Colton Pareko for the St. Louis Blues. They don't win that cup at the tail end of their window without it. So, you know. Draft picks, it's one of those things. They're volatile assets. It might be nothing, but if it's something, the upside of it is unmatched. Mm. Like, there's nothing you can get that is better in terms of giving your team lifeblood. Now, Vancouver isn't good right now, right? This Heronic deal with the Beauvillier acquisition, they're not going to enter the playoff, or they're not going to enter next season without significant surgery to come with like a points over under in the nineties, probably no, not after this season. Right. So there's still going to be a lot of work to do to get this team to where you're even competitive with like Vegas and Edmonton. So we'll see. I'm not saying it's impossible, but the value of holding additional volatile assets, non-guaranteed assets that could be game-changing properties for your team is massive. And when you trade them, it's not that you're trading the nothing you imagine, oh, it's going to be Vertanen, it's going to be a levy. Like, I get a lot of that on Twitter. It's like, it's not, you're trading like a percentage chance of getting a star and you're bringing back a guy who we know is good. Like, we know he's a top four defenseman. We know he's the type of player that this team needs. You're getting certainty, but you're getting certainty for a very short period of time after which it becomes expensive as opposed to like a long runway mm-hmm. with a player who could be extremely helpful and cost controlled for like several years. 
it's just not how you get better. And and one point I saw to our, our buddy Jonathan Wall bring up on Twitter, and I, I bring this up a lot because I think it's a vital one. You're not just trying to chase down Vegas and Edmonton. You also have to stay ahead of Anaheim and now Nashville, right? Like Nashville's gotten haul. They're materially better than Vancouver. Detroit, yeah. materially better than Vancouver and is selling. Washington, materially better than Vancouver and is selling. You know, you need to stay ahead of the teams that are going to accumulate you and are currently in your rearview mirror. And let's be real, there's not a lot of teams in Vancouver's rearview mirror at the moment. Uh, This text comes in, describe these other ways, which I was alluding to, right, between tear it down and desperately trading your futures to try to get better now. We've talked so much about some of the other paths that they could follow. And again, like I've been very consistent. And I got to give a shout out to, uh, to our guy, Dan Riccio who uh, is is singing from the Canucks Talk playbook yeah. these days after our hymn book I should say uh, these days after this trade and what you know what he said on Twitter was could you just be disciplined for like from this deadline right now through the summer and next deadline and if you do that man you would be in such a better place in terms of cap flexibility right if you use your your cap space to take on assets if you use your cap space to if you make some smart bets in free agency low risk high upside bets like Luke Shen that you can one both help you win games because I agree I think there's value to winning games next year I'm not saying tear it down and be Arizona next season far from it if you could make some smart bets in free agency with your cap flexibility that you would that you could have opened up and then maybe flip those guys after they've helped you win games that's great I would love to see that process They've just chosen not to do that. They've chosen, again, to try to hit fast forward, to try to put the whole thing in the microwave. And the other thing I want to say yeah. is, okay, let's let's even say for the sake of argument, it's a choice between being if, if being bad next year means you're going to lose Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. First of all, Quinn Hughes is under contract for four more years, okay? So, yeah, are there way, things players can do? Sure, but that would be pretty close to unprecedented in the NHL. Elias Pettersson, you can offer him more money than any other team can. So it's not as if these guys have an easy route out the door without making some serious sacrifices. But even if that is the case, it's not as if you've guaranteed yourself to be good next year. You're still a long shot to make the playoffs from where we are right now. And yeah, we'll see what happens over the trade deadline. We'll see what happens over the summer. But it's not as if you've eliminated. If you accept that there's this idea that, man, if we're bad next year, we're going to say goodbye to Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. You haven't eliminated that risk. Not even close. You haven't come close to eliminating that risk. And instead, what you've done is made it harder to eventually build a legitimately competitive team around them. Yeah, if you don't like long rebuilds, stop making these kinds of moves because these are the kinds of moves that keep pushing the timeline out. Yeah, and this text comes in, and I think it's a good one, says uh, what these these guys don't get is if you don't start growing your prospects, this problem doesn't ever go away. You'll always be chasing NHL-ready players from other teams and overpaying. The only way to get affordable quality is through the draft. And I think that's a great point. Why are they desperate to add an impact right shot defenseman? Look at the picks they've made. And I, I don't mean the like good or bad picks they've made in recent years. The volume. the volume of picks they've made since about 2019 has been so small. And even going back beyond that has been so small that they've put themselves in a position where they don't have any young players who are figured to be impact players coming up through the system that they can oh, plug they, into. The they lineup. don't even have anyone other than like maybe Guillaume Brisebois you know, low upside type guys who are going to compete for roster spots next year, right? Like Jack Rathbone isn't. Jet Wu isn't. Like there's no. And and let's be real, like Danila Klimovich, maybe. And again, you are, 
you're creating this debt essentially, yeah. right? And now you're using the credit card to pay off debt exactly you already right. incurred in the past. And exactly. It's, just, right. it's this vicious cycle. And until you stop get digging. real, until you get real with where you are and acknowledge the problem, you're always going to be on this treadmill. Well, and that's part of a big part of the reason why I'm going to be fading this like jumpstart retool pro- project. Like, I don't see. I don't see a group that's a defenseman or two away. Like, the quality of the defense is the fundamental issue holding the Canucks back. I've talked about it a lot. Heronic helps address it. But I also don't see a group that, like, competes at an elite level. Like, I have no idea how anyone would watch this group of players play the last three seasons and think, with a better supporting cast, we might be onto something. There's too many nights off. There's not enough, like one battles there's not enough gumption frankly i just have no clue how you'd watch this group play together and think the way that they fit together can translate to a winning team if we get a couple heroic quality players like i'm deeply dubious about that and by the way adding the other heroic quality player good luck you're capped out and and do not underestimate how big a factor this is right because this management group came in and thought they'd be able to do more surgery than they've been able to, right? <laughs> you know, I also just want to actually, sorry, I just, I was thinking about the surgery line because it was a comment from a recent, but you know, as much as they've been clear about the plan in, in quotation marks, there's mm-hmm. also been, well, they, this wasn't a quick fix. This is not going to be a quick fix. They you, you can't put out nine different messages and then pick the one that you actually do and be like, we've had a clear plan. Yeah. To me, the most persuasive argument of that is that we, uh, you know, if you're going to make the argument, you shouldn't be surprised. To me, the most persuasive argument isn't because that's what they've said. It's that this is the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> so ultimately, and I'm willing to like put up my hand and like, I was foolish for expecting anything else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's the Vancouver Canucks. But they made the Horvat trade the way they did. They said this isn't going to be a quick fix. Like, if you just look at what they actually did and said, it's not. It wasn't completely ridiculous to think maybe they've changed their perspective a little, uh, bit. or at least, or at least are willing to take like a short term step yeah. back before, like a six month step like, back. I, I wasn't expecting a multi year rebuild. No, no, I'm, no, 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 no. I'm going to keep calling for it because I and, think it's what's necessary. And we've been di- we've differed on that. Where I have I have said like there's a way to do a relatively short term rebuild around Pedersen. Yeah, and not Hughes. one of your stronger takes. <laughs> I still think that would have been true. They no. just chose not to do that. No, it, it's it, first of all, I think they were out of options. And they were out of options because this isn't the first time they've tried to short-circuit things. And every time you short-circuit things, you're trading the futures that provide the upside that give you a chance to be something special, to build something special. And this team was already at a point where I think they'd fundamentally compromised their window to com- contend anyway in Hughes and Pedersen's primes. And now it's like... This better work next season. This better work next season. Period. Like, there's nothing else to say about yeah. it. This this just has to work, and it's going to be tough. Like, honestly, we we can already start to. Th- we have a few hours left. Twenty four hours, less than twenty four hours mm-hmm. left. Actually, at the start of our show, we were officially twenty four hours out from the trade deadline. So we have a day left. Moving money out, given the way we've seen this market shape, is going to be extremely difficult unless you pay. Come the offseason, moving some of those contracts out that the Canucks have not been able to move out for the last year is going to be extremely difficult unless they pay. Considering buyouts, even on useful players like Connor Garland, who, for perception's sake, do you know Connor Garland has two fewer five-on-five points this season than JT Miller? How, how 
odd does that sound considering the perspectives the that we the have discussion in this around Connor Garland and both yeah. players yeah. both players yeah it's fair um no that's what I mean it's like oh well they'll get rid of Garland and that'll free up salary cap space he's a good player no no he's a he's a, he's good, a good player. player a he's a good player b b not without picks yep no like you're gonna have to pay to create the flexibility to improve further from here you're gonna have to buy out a guy or two like the way that they've committed money to Bovillier and Hironic, guys who I view as supporting pieces, like good players but supporting pieces, is going to necessitate more painful moves that further lower your ceiling. So it has to work. Like, it just yeah. has to work. And and so that's where we're at now. We're, we're covering the 27th place team, and our perspective has to suddenly shift from management, hopefully we'll do the right things, to... They must make the playoffs. Everything they do from now until next season when they're eliminated or qualify mm -hmm. is playoffs or bust. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's the window they've chosen for this group. Couple. And if that makes sense to you as a Canucks fan, like text in. Let us know why you think this team can make the playoffs next year. We'll discuss it with Harmon on our next segment, and we'll discuss it in the se fourth segment. Because I, I just I see no reason... To think that has even a chance at being anything more than a harebrained fantasy. Well, you start to look at, like, even if they buy out OEL and somehow move Tyler Myers, okay? So then you're basically looking at, you have Quinn Hughes, Philip Roenick, and Ethan Bear, who's not signed, but seems like a good chance he'll be back. That, those would be the guys on your blue line, right? Travis Dermott, we don't know his health status, Tucker Pullman, etc. <laughs> you still have so far to go to build a playoff caliber blue line from that starting point. A couple of other texts I wanted to, to read here. Uh, this one, uh, again, responding to my plan of, you know, taking your foot off the gas for a year or so. Your plan of one or two years is so horrible because, yeah, PD and Hughes are going to chill while the team's bottom five again. Yeah, they won't care about being a bottom 10 team and missing the playoffs. They'll be so chill about that. Again, if this had been a move that had turned the Canucks into a bona fide top 10 team, we're having a much different discussion. But the, da the there is absolutely a world where they're going to be a bottom 10 team again next year. That's the point. You've paid this price and not even removed the downside of being a bottom 10 point from your future. I wanted to read this one, too, because I think it's actually a, a really interesting text. This one comes in unsigned. I hated the Hronik trade, but at this point, shouldn't they just lean in hard on this four-season Quinn Hughes to UFA window? Not one foot in, one out. Start shopping the 2023 and 2024 first as well. After that fails, we hopefully get an actual rebuild in 2028. It's just not how it's going to work. But again, like, they're not going to do it then either. But I, I think to his point about... Okay, if, if you've decided, like, well, draft pick's going to help us three or four years down the road, then why aren't you shopping your own? And I get it's like, you'll wait to see what the lottery does. I understand that. But what but, about your next year's one? But like, they, you're right. But they probably will. You know, like they did in the uh, with the OEL trade. They're not – this organization trades – I know that was a different management group, but this organization's not afraid to trade out of the top ten. Never underestimate Vancouver's willingness to trade draft picks. So, you know what's funny, though? Never underestimate this – organization's willingness to trade draft picks now that the Stanley Cup window's closed because they didn't do it enough mm. when they had a really good, when they had a wagon. When the Canucks were a wagon, they held four or five first-round picks over the finest five years in the history of the franchise. And now they don't matter. It's wild, man. So deeply frustrating. Uh, you guys are nuts. Hughes and Pedersen will be in their mid-20s in a year or two. We need to do this over the next couple of years. Do what? Do what? They're in their mid-20s now. 
But, like, do what Sorry. over the next couple of years? Win a Stanley Cup? Sorry, they're not only in their mid-20s, but they're playing out of their minds. Right? Like, they're playing out of their minds. Yeah, they're playing incredible. They are playing the best hockey of their lives for the 27th place team in the NHL. For a team whose playoff hopes, realistically, were kaput by mid-December. And actually before that, but like truly by mid-December. How many years have you watched and laughed at the Edmonton Oilers' star players struggle to even make the playoffs? Mm -hmm. You don't make it with one or two guys in this league. Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson are brilliant. Brilliant talents. Fun to watch. Worth the price of admission. I'm looking forward to watching them tonight against Kirill Kaprizov, another guy who's worth the price of admission. But Kaprizov doesn't do it alone. He can't. You need a team. And I'm sure the Canucks view it as like m making Horvat into Bovillier and Hronik makes us more a more complete team. Okay. But you're not better. You're still a long way from the playoffs. There were way better things to do with those assets, including Jacob Chikorin. So, I don't know. I sort of just look at this team and think, man, I would just love let, let 15 minutes. Okay, let's go 15 minutes with no nonsense. Let's just do that. This is, the, this is Grandpa Simpson with his <laughs> pants falling off at this point. It's hard. It's tough to watch it unfold. Uh, this team wouldn't be so bad if we didn't have the OEL and Myers contracts. That's true, but... Unfortunately, they do, and, and there's no and there's no silver bullet to get out of them. And why? Why do they have them? Because they were chasing. They were trying to push the, the timeline. They were trying this to accelerate the process. This team needs defensive help. We're going to go out and improve the defense. That was the summer of 2019, and they made a regrettable bet for Myers. Yep. This team needs to improve the defense. We're losing Alex Edler. We've landed a top pair defenseman, Oliver Ekman Larson. He's a core piece for us now. Sound familiar? Uh, we'll, take Oy, a break. we'll take a break. Harmon Dial from The Athletic will join us next. Uh, we'll continue to dive into the latest around the Canucks here. Uh, Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now this one, be honest. How would you judge the Wild if the Wild acquired Ronick? You just said it. Kaprizov can't do it alone. But yet, they're a way better team than us? They are! They're 20 points up on the standings! They're second in their division! Look at all the draft picks they've made over recent years. Yes, if circumstances were completely different, and this team was a playoff contender and had a loaded prospect system, yeah, we'd be reacting to this trade differently. If, if things were different, our reaction would be different. The Wild are, in fact, way better, and that would change how we react to this deal. I don't know what to tell you. The Wild also have unique considerations with the looming cap crunch, so if they were buying some short-term cost certainty, it would be totally different. But, yeah, we're talking about a team that's about to make the playoffs for the fourth time in fifth year, five years. Um, the Canucks have 
made the playoffs once since 2015, and that was in a pandemic-shortened season. Anyways, so that's the big difference, I would say, between the Canucks and the Wild theoretically making a move like this. Uh, Harmon Dial from The Athletic, we talk to him regularly here on the show and on the station. He joins us now. Harmon, thanks for doing this as always. Uh, Here we are again, huh, man? Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting to kind of digest and understand what the Canucks are looking to do. And and I've taken some time. I can see what they're trying to do. I'm not necessarily saying I agree with it, but clearly this is a situation where you're going to, where, you know, first of all, you check up, they, they check off in their mind an important box of the top four right, right-handed team. And I'm sure that in the off season now, you're looking at a scenario where they're going to look at some difficult decisions, including buyouts, for example, on a player like Albrecht and Larson to open up some cap flexibility, maybe, maybe attaching, um, you know, sweetener two to get off of a couple of their other contracts. And they're clearly looking at this as a, as a team that if you can then get Demko healthy and playing at the level, you know, at, 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 a, at the level that he was maybe last season, especially for a team that has the 32nd save percentage in the league, you you look at a lot of those factors starting to come in. I think that's sort of the play where they think they can be competitive for the playoffs next season, right? And I can see that, right? I can see a scenario where this team makes the playoffs next season, especially if Corona can come in and stabilize the second pair, which has really been the Achilles heel for this Canucks team at 5-5, five five, right? You know that when Hughes is on the ice, this team can hold its own and outplay other teams, but when he's, when he's on the bench, it's like that's where the Canucks get catastrophically dominated. That's, I think, a big part of the play. And so with all those factors, you know, occurring, you can see that the issue that I have and and why we, I think, kind of disagree with the trade is you're improving rapidly in the short term, but does it impede your ability to actually become a cup contender and elite team down the road? And that's where my perspective on it is, as a team, you can't, consistently be at a deficit of picks in the first two rounds, which we have been in this position because of the last administration as well. I just don't think you can construct an actual cup contender when you're, you know, consistently trading away first and second round picks before your window actually opens. And so that's kind of where I stand, where I can see a situation where if this management group is crafty enough, the retool quote unquote can work in the sense of getting, getting you back into the playoffs but as I sort of sit, sit and digest, the biggest question I have is, and the biggest concern really is that have they effectively lowered the ceiling that this team can reach further down the road? Harmon, what are the Canucks getting in Philip Heronik? Do you think he'll be a good fit with Hughes? Do you think he'll play there? Yeah, it's really interesting. Talkett didn't seem to know or, or off the top of his head seem to have a preference, I think. Right off the bat, I mean, my initial preference has always been because you have Hughes able to anchor a pair and because the team has had such massive issues with the second pair and it being so disastrous with the regression that we've seen from Ekman Larson and Myers, I'd almost want to split them up, right? Mm. As much as I'd like to see Hughes and Heronik play together because they'd be so talented off of each other, the thought process that I have is, okay, if you can plug in someone like an Ethan Bear, who's been perfectly competent with Shen, or uh, with uh, with Hughes in that top pair spot, is it ideal to have Bear with uh, with Hughes there? Probably not. But 
the trickle-down effect is that then you have a second pair that's now anchored by Hironic as opposed to someone like a Tyler Myers. And I think the gains that you'd get from stabilizing your second pair are, could arguably, arguably be much higher than if you play Hughes and Hironic together. Now, down the road in a year or two, if you're in a situation where you're, where you're able to find another sort of, you know, whether it's a left shot or right shot, somebody else to stabilize the second pair, and, and then you can look to catapult Hironic up the lineup to really juice um, Hughes and, and give him finally a high-end partner to play with. That'd be great. Um, but my initial sort of thought was you, you're, you're at such a deficit of high-end defensemen that especially with this team's inability to move the puck and what Hironic can do in that capacity, like do you really want to stack your two best puck movers on, on the same pair so that the other 40 minutes of the night you still have a de- decor that can't move, that can't transition? Or would, do you want to spread those guys out and then be in a much more comfortable spot where you always have or you almost always have one of uh, Hughes or Hronick on the ice for the majority of five and five play. Harmon, how hard do you expect it to be, or do you think it will be, for the Canucks to clear out additional space, having committed more at the moment for next season than even the Tampa Bay Lightning? Yeah, it's, that's really been the biggest question in all of this, right? Especially because that was one of their biggest goals last offseason, and it proved pretty challenging and now it's going to take some level of creativity or or you know venturing into into things that maybe they initially would not have wanted to do right like whether it's retaining on someone like a best or garland even if it's a little bit whether it's uh, again buyouts in the off season whether it's you know one thing that i've wondered about is will management look at some of their and, and i'm not saying that this is what i'm hearing or anything this is just me wondering is are they going to look at their, you know, excess ta- excess talent on on the wings and look at you know some of their younger options and think about um, sweeteners to to get off of some of their deals and, and creating flexibility that way? I think that's still looming large in terms of what they can do next. And I think that's you know even even with someone like um with like a JT Miller, right? Like now you have to make a decision. Probably not not at the deadline because it's difficult to move that money, but going into the draft, for example, you have to make a determination on whether you're confident in, enough in him as a center because at $8 million, he needs to be a top six center. If you, if you have any reservations about whether he can you know, be successful there, if you view him as more of a winger, then that's a, that's a contract that you have to look at and go, we probably are better off trying to create that flexibility and, and allocate it um, in, in a more premium position. So um, there's definitely still, I think, a lot of work to uh, to be done on that front, and, and I'm curious to see how management goes about it. Do you view next season as an all-in season now? Like, it, all, all in in what sense? Playoffs or bust? Well, yeah, I mean, if you're acquiring Hronik, especially since it tracks with the logic of this past summer re-signing Miller, like, they have to... They have to rapidly improve and that yes that means making the making the playoffs even for this season right we heard Bruce Boudreau talking about playoffs or bust for this season right and if you're doubling down on this retool direction and you're and you want to fix things soon rather than later then yeah absolutely you have to make the playoffs and it also makes me wonder now like 
there in the in, in the weeks leading up to the deadline, we saw you know some speculation about Demko's future and whatnot. In my mind, I'm looking at Demko and I'm going, well, if you're in this retool path and, and you need to be competitive next season, then you have to keep him, right? I, I don't see a scenario, especially given his cap hit and, and the fact that um, you don't have um, somebody necessarily ready to be a cost-effective starter. I, I don't see how that makes sense anymore. As opposed to before, right, I could have looked at, you know, someone like Demko and gone, all right, if you view... If you're looking at, let's say, a two, three-year timeline to be competitive instead, then you could sort of look at Demko and go, does this contract fit in that timeline? Are we better off moving him for a haul? Now I look at someone like Demko and I'm like, if you if you want to be congruent with this path, you have to keep him. Yeah, and the thing about the trade is, you know, in a vacuum, you can say, well, look, that's a fair price for a young uh, right-shot defenseman who can make an impact. But the, the thing that concerns me is, what are the moves that are kind of naturally going to flow from this for the Canucks? And as you said, now there's a ton of pressure for them to make the playoffs and be competitive next year. And the thing is, you know, they're still trying to clear salary cap space, which has been really difficult. But even if they are able to move players like Besser and Garland and Myers, I mean, those those are still guys who have been playing major minutes, for better or for worse, for this team. You have to replace those players. You have to upgrade on those players, and that's not going to be easy to do either. How much work is there to do beyond Ronick, right, with the rest of this roster to make it a playoff caliber roster? Well, they're going to really have to hit on finding a way to sort of, for you know, mine talent in non-traditional places. And what I mean by that is you look at a player like Kuzmenko coming over from um, from Russia and in Vancouver, like that's that was a home run in terms of essentially getting him for free in terms of acquisition costs and then having him be able to help you for one year on an ELC, like that's, you know, that's the sort of thing where you're going to consistently have to um, hit on players like that. You're going to have to consistently find uh, players like Dakota Joshua, find opportunities like the one for um, Ethan Bear. You're going to have to see meaningful progress and development with the likes of Vasily Podkols and Nils Hoaglander, um, Aturatu, like those are, especially with those young guys that I mentioned, given how cost controllable they're going to be, you're going to need to, you know, hopefully lean on them to give you major value. Um, if you are, again, as you mentioned, moving out some of those higher priced, already established sort of pieces. In conversation with the Athletics, Harmon Dial here on uh, Sportsnet 650 Canucks Talk, talking about the Philip Roenick trade uh, and everything else going on with the Vancouver Canucks as well. If they, I, I know we were talking about his fit with uh, with Hughes a little bit. You know, I, I just look at they have Roenick, they have Hughes, they have Ethan Bear. None of those guys necessarily profile as your ideal kind of matchup minute players. Is that one of the biggest tasks they have? Right to kind of assemble a legitimate top uh, matchup pairing here going into next season? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair question because, as you kind of alluded to, even when the team had taken significant steps at 5-5 five five last season, that's where OEL had kind of stepped into that role. He had the best defensive season of his career. He, he was putting up excellent defensive results considering the matchups that he was taking, and they were really leaning on him and Talon Myers in that sort of role to play against um, best lines. And, I mean, if you're looking at a scenario where we, I guess you, you kind of have to make a decision then too, right, where, again, my initial instinct was you're probably better off splitting Hughes and Heronic, but if it comes down to a situation in the offseason, 
where you don't have, let's say, a defensive-minded partner for Hirona to necessarily play with, or you're not confident in Albrecht and Larson, then maybe you will be forced to sort of think about, even though Hughes and Hironic aren't necessarily matchup defenders, stacking your stacking your two best players and, and having them play against top lines because maybe that's the best way for you to um, effectively sort of play against uh, the other team's best players. And, and that's, you know, again, that's probably not ideal. I'd, I'd want to see a scenario where you, you hopefully split them and, can maximize uh, the benefit and, and always have uh, a, a good puck mover on the ice. But you're right that it they, this is kind of something that's still a work in progress in terms of understanding what are the other pieces and options that you're going to have um, around you. Are the Canucks better if they have Bo Horvat, or are they better if they have Beauvillier, Horonic, and Ratu for next season? I mean, with the way Horvat's playing, played this season, I mean, I don't think you can argue that, um, especially as a centerman, with, with Miller's, I, I think Miller's improved at center recently, but overall it hasn't been, it's been a much tougher sledding for him down the middle than it has been on the wing. I mean, Horvat's, you know, I haven't checked recently, but for much of the season, he's been top 10 in the NHL in goals. Um, now, Bovillier's been, you know, really effective since he's come here, but I don't, I'm, I, you need Ratu to take a step forward and, and be a meaningful bottom six contributor for Hironic, um, for, for that pool of Hironic, Bovillier, Ratu to outperform Horvat, um, especially since he also, in making that swap, also gave up a second round pick, Vancouver's own, which is going to be relatively high this season. Um, and people will say, like, look, well, RD is a much higher leverage position but center is too now right like we've seen Nils Oman and of course it's been because JT Miller has been injured but Nils Oman has had to recently been on paper anyway their second line center Sheldon Dries has spent a huge chunk of the season as their third line center even when they've had all of their players uh, healthy so there there are still big question marks down the middle and you don't want to be in a position as a team where, you know, let's say you have Pedersen Miller down, down uh, at center. If one of those guys gets hurt, you don't want to be in a position to have to, you know, thrust up, you know, Oman. And, and so, again, that's why I think Ratu is going to be uh, a significant, you know, part of this equation over the next couple of seasons. Is you're going to have to hope that he can sort of take the next step and, and be a helpful bottom six centerman, at least to start. And then hopefully as he hits his prime, uh, maybe be a little bit more than that. Does it concern you at all? that Hronik's carrying a 103 PDO and playing at a level defensively that he never has before in his career from a, did the Canucks just buy really high on a player perspective? A little bit, especially because you think about it from Detroit's perspective. They're also a young team that's on the rise. Now they have, for example, someone like Simone Edmondson coming who on the left side, you can understand why they, why, why they may go, all right, we have some young pieces coming up. We can afford to deal from, from, uh, from our blue line. But again, like, it's not as if they're, you know, loaded. It's not as if Ed, uh, Edmondson's a right shot defenseman. Like, it still creates a significant hole for the Red Wings, and they're sort of in the similar spot where they're trying to take the next step forward. The Red Wings aren't in a rebuild phase where they're just trying to collect picks for the sake of it, right? We saw how active they were in free agency. And so to me, the fact that they 
chose to cash in on a return as opposed to like people say like, oh, like 25 year old top pair defenseman, for example. And it's like if you're the Red Wings, if, if they, you know, felt that this was really his absolute apex, you know, potential that he could sustain this, then wouldn't they want to keep him? Right. So it is a little bit of a concern to me. But having said that, when you look at the steps that he's taken this season, like independent of the PDO, his defensive results were really promising, especially before he got uh, partnered with uh, Ben Sherratt more recently. And, um, and you talk to people who have watched his evolution by the eye, he has legitimately improved his own zone play. Not to mention when you look at his initial struggles defensively earlier in his career, it was in a context where, you know, Sider hadn't come in and he was this young early twenties defenseman who was having to play 22, 23, 24 minutes a night, play against top competition, didn't really have a great partner around him, didn't, didn't have any, um, any sustainable infrastructure around him to give him support. He was kind of thrown to the wolves. And so that's the sort of context where you can understand why a young defenseman would struggle defensively. And so given his age, I'm still like, I, I think there's legitimacy to his breakout year. I don't think his breakout, breakout year is just, he's been on a great, you know, he's been on a PDO bender and we're going to see him, you know, fall off a cliff next year. I don't expect anything like that. I think, he's taken legitimate strides in his two way game, but could his value maybe be a little bit inflated? Is this maybe the um, high point? We'll see. I mean, that seems to be what uh, Detroit was betting on. Uh, Harmon, just before we let you go, Thatcher Demko going to make his second consecutive start since returning for the Canucks tonight against Minnesota. How would you like to see the team uh, manage Demko's workload for the remainder of the season? It's going to be interesting. I think you're going to have to, like if I was in the Canucks position, you have to check in regularly with Demko himself and understand how his body is um, is feeling and, and make sure that you don't throw too heavy a workload at him too quickly. So, you know, he's still going to, like, he's, he's, he's the number one. He's such an important piece for you moving forward. He's, you know, he's going to be treated as a starter down the down line here and he's going to get that type of workload. But, um, you know, I'd scale, you know, if I'd give him maybe 80% or 75% of the workload that you would in a normal circumstances and, and create an environment where, yeah, he's still going to be playing most of the games, but you don't want him to be playing as often as he did, for example, during the second half of uh, last season under Boudreaux, where, you know, the coaching staff just didn't trust the backup situation and was, you know, leaning really, really heavily on him. So, um, I think that would be my consideration. And, and then, as I mentioned, you're going to have to be checking regular, regularly with Demko himself and, and the medical staff and make sure that um, you're proactive about managing enough rest with him down the stretch here. Harmon, really appreciate the time, man. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, guys. That is Harmon Dial, who also, of course, covers the Canucks along with Drancer at The Athletic, uh, weighing in. On uh, on his thoughts uh, on the Philip Ronick trade, as well as uh, some of the other things happening around the Canucks right now. Uh, as I was talking, as we were talking to uh, to Dia or Harmon, excuse me, I, uh, I I made the suggestion that the Canucks, even if they move off the full freight of Besser and Garland, will presumably be trying to replace and upgrade on those players. And this text comes in: "That's a trash take. We don't need to upgrade on Besser and Garland. Use that money for defense." We score enough. 
again, one of the reasons you score a lot of goals is because, like, Connor Garland's been very productive this year. I know Brock Besser hasn't from a goal-scoring production, but he hasn't exactly been a drag on his line mates either on their production. And it's not as if they're an elite offensive team. They're, like, 11th in the league in goal scored, I think, this year. That's that's a nice number. But I I have this argument all the time. So me and Rick Dollywall talk on the phone, like, twice a day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for that. that. (laughs) And we always fight. It's never just, like, cordial. Like, obviously it is. Like, we enjoy it. But, like, it always breaks down into a fight. And one thing Rick gets mad at me for is he says, you never credit the Canucks for being the – you know, a top 10 offense or for scoring the goals that they do. And I always reply, like, is it a first to five league, Rick? Like, I don't care how much you score if you prevent, like, if you allow more than you generate. Like, Mm hockey is not a game of raw numbers. It's a game of ratios. Six goals is great unless you surrender seven and you'll lose. We all know this sort of instinctively, right? Reallocating money from the wings is crucial. They have to do it. Reallocating money from Myers and OEL is crucial. They have to do it. Um, you don't want to compromise what this team does well, but they're going to be desperate for center depth and desperate for more defensive quality going into next season. I'll also point out again, so five on five, and now I know their power play has at times been really good this year, and I think their power play is one of their most sustainable things. Um, although, you know, we'll see what it looks like next year full-time without Bo Horvat in the middle. They've been 11th at 5-on-5 goal scoring this year. Goals per 60 on 5-on-5. They're 11th in the league. That's right. above average, but not elite. Well, and to and to bolster your take, other than the Pedersen line mates, right? So Kuzmenko, Pedersen, Mikheyev, Beauvillier, right? Next up among forwards in terms of Canucks goals 4 per 60. And I'm not talking personal. I'm talking who do the Canucks score the most with? Brock Besser. Like, Besser, whether or not he's producing, Besser is on the ice for a lot of goals for. And the other thing is, so let's say again, and I think this is a defensible option. Let's say again, you you move Garland and Besser, completely get off of them, you have that money to work with, and you transfer it all to center and the blue line. Okay, then you're probably looking at your wingers next year being Beauvillier, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Hoaglander, Podkolzin, maybe Kratsov, maybe Dakota Joshua. Like that's not an elite group of wings. That's no. that you've turned a strength, a relative strength into your team into probably a relative weakness. That's not a forward group that figures to score an elite rate next year. Well, and seriously, if JT Miller plays center, what's one thing you don't really have? Like honestly, a matchup center? No, an elite winger. Like I know Kuzmenko's been super productive this season, but I wouldn't call him an elite two-way wing you know, in matchup minutes, and we've seen two coaches sort of hesitate to put him there, right? Like, an elite winger who can hold up at the top of the lineup minutes, like, Miller's kind of your answer there, too. So it's a it's a really tough situation, but this is what happens when you don't have enough talent. And among Vancouver's myriad issues, and one we don't talk about enough because they have two players playing at the absolute top of their games, and a bunch of guys who are productive nonetheless, in, in Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Beauvillier, even JT Miller, like, among this team's other issues is they're also short on elite talent. The best teams in the league have, like, four or five elite forwards. Canucks have one. Mm-hmm. Maybe one and a half, depending on how you want to credit Miller or Kuzmenko. So, yeah. Tough lift. 
tough team to be all in on. We will take a break. We'll hear from Rick Tockett uh, and maybe Quinn Hughes as well in the final segment of the show. Coming up next, Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, final segment of the show on a Canucks game day, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Calm. Uh, we we'll, we'll hear from uh, from Rick Tockett in just a second here as the Canucks get set to face the Minnesota Wild tonight at Rogers Arena. I will point out, you know, we've we've heard the reporting is the Canucks still working on things, still working on potentially big moves. Our friend Shana Goldman again dropping uh, that they might be interested in a recent high end first round draft pick forward out there, and that maybe will soften the blow of trading a first round pick for the organization. So, if the last two days have been any indication set your watches for about 15 minutes from now to expect a, a trade and right ex- before we're about to go off the and end. expect the unexpected expect obviously but, the unexpected yes but my goodness <laughs> the uh yeah the age gap trade i don't know that that's going to soften the blow of the criticism this organization's been taking locally no not sure about that uh anyways we'll keep you updated as anything else develops with the canucks but uh, as promised here is canucks coach rick talkett speaking to the media before the game tonight Yeah, we're really excited. You know, he's a top four defenseman, but he's got 38, 40 points. He's got a, a bomb from the from the point. Um, you know, just a, a piece that we need, a right-hand defenseman that can play in your top four, 22-minute uh, type of guy. Um, I think we're fortunate to get him. Do you have any idea on the timeline? Uh, four. For getting him back, he's hurt right uh, no, I have no idea. We, we got to get to our doctors and stuff like that. It's not serious, but I think we got to evaluate, and then we'll go from there. Uh, next, what was it, Thursday this weekend? He'll be in. I don't know the exact day, but, uh, and then I'll go through our evaluation. What does it mean to you as a coach, Rick? You probably have some say in shaping your roster, but yeah. to get a guy like Kronick where you're, you're trying to kind of retool what you have here and you're reconstructed, but to get an incredible guy to move that process forward, what does it mean to you as a coach? Well, it's big. Um, you know, I'm trying to implement a few things. Obviously, I want to play a faster style of play. You know, you, I think... To be a really good team, you have to be a good team on the breakouts. That's what he can do, a good first pass. He can join the rush. Um, you know, he can complement whoever he plays with. So um, he's 25 years old, so it's not like we're getting a 31-year-old or 30s. He's a 25-year-old, so he's going to be part of this process for the next few years here. So that's the, that's, I think that's the key. Like, he's not yeah. old. You're <laughs> You're looking at the trade deadline through a different lens now. You were traded five times as a player, yeah. twice at the deadline. Uh, do you remember those two times in March and, and what it meant and how un, maybe un, unnerving it or unexpected or expected it was? Well, it, there's di- there's obviously different feelings. Yeah. depends where you go. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, obviously going to Pittsburgh, I was – I mean, I hated to leave Philadelphia, but, you know, you, I went to an all-star team. So yeah. that was kind of fun to go get traded. Yeah, people had different – you know, there's different feelings um, – because everybody looks at your career, you know, is it going to help your career or not your career? But, um, you know, he's a type of guy that I think he's excited to join. Like, you know, he's going to a situation where he's going to play some good players and what we're trying to implement here. 
Could he help on the PK as well? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, he's, you know, I, I know as an assistant coach in the year we won Pittsburgh, you know, we didn't have a huge defense, but we defended really quick and we had puck possession. That's how you, when you don't have big, huge defensemen, you know, like some teams do, you, you defend other ways. So there's different ways to win. When you have two puck movers like that, do you want them playing with just like stay-at-home defensemen? Or do you think you can have success yeah. with them together? I don't know. That's a good – I don't know. We haven't really checked the pairs out. But, uh, you know, I, I'm open for anything. All I know is guys like, you know, Pedersen and Kuzi and Miller and those guys, you know, they want to play with the guys who are going to get the puck up them quick. So wherever they go, we have a, an, another guy that can do that for us. He's had a lot of success on the power play, so yeah, he's got a bomb. Quinn's your guy, so how do you do? You use him <clears> or do you put, put one on PP two? Well, it's good options. It's good firepower. You know, uh, you can say it strengthens uh, the. You know, if he's a second unit guy, he strengthens that. Um, it, you know, do you find him on the uh, the first unit? Where do you put him? I know he's got a rocket, so uh, you always want that guy up top to to, to, to have a rocket. But he also Hughes, he was hoof. I mean, the guy's got fifty assists. The guy can find anybody. So it's a it's a good problem for a coach to have. Did on JT Miller? Uh, he felt good today. I don't, I don't know uh, game time status. Rick, you've had a lot of players, new players, either by yeah. trade, either by injury, to work your system into. How, how challenging is it for the guys, <clears throat> maybe for the dozen guys who've been there all the time, to have a new guy <clears throat> in all the time and try to be consistent? Yeah, a lot, lot more individual or smaller group meetings. I always feel when you have a lot of players coming your way, Instead of, you know, and I've been doing team meetings, don't get me wrong, it's been more individual or smaller group meetings. I always felt that's easier to get to to certain players, um, to get them up to speed on your system. It's been, been about five weeks, I guess, since you've been here. From Probably easier to see some change when you look back now. Is it is it going like you'd hoped? Is it still going better? Well, it's a work in progress. You know, as a coach, too, it's my job to them to understand me, like, too. Like, it's... Uh, I like doing little things different, but I don't want to come in and change everything because they're used to certain things too. So it's a, it's a give or take. And, you, you know, you rely on your leaders, you know, PD and Millsy and Husey and those guys to – I pick their brains. Hey, what do you think about this? You know, um, and um, I think it's important that the coach and the players have a partnership. It's just not just me. I mean, i got to learn from those guys too. You said game time status. You mean game time decision tonight for me? Yeah. Okay. What's your impression of the Wild so far? You've been watching them recently. Um, typical Billy Guerin like type of team, man. They're they're a tough team to play against. Uh, they won what six or last seven. Um, good defense. You know the goaltending's great. <clears throat> they got some. They got their lines are they have identity. And obviously, you got the Carell uh, there. He's um you know he's unreal. Um, but they got they're, they're a balanced team. They're they're built for a seven game series type of team. So uh, and the, the way they've been winning late, what two one hockey games. They're they're comfortable winning those type of games. How much do you think that plays off Everson, who kind of grinded out a career yeah. as a grindy third-line center? Well, I, 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 I don't know him too well, but yeah. just from afar, he's, uh, I really like what he's done there. And, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Billy Guerin fan, what he's done. But uh, he's, uh, he's a, he makes everybody accountable. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a fiery guy, but he also he knows his ex and knows. Favorite Bill Guerin story you can share? Do you have a favorite Bill Guerin memory you can share? Oh, I got to, there's so many. Billy. Well, the one thing with Billy, he used to take us out dinner a lot. When if Jim Rutherford didn't come assist, so he used to take us to great restaurants. And I got a few photos of Billy eating dessert, though. <laughs> that I might I might leak to the press one day. He's a, but no, he's a he's a just a he's a hockey guy. He's fun to be around, and um, you can tell that's a 
what he's done with the Wilds. It's, it's his you know footprint on that. That is Canucks coach Rick Tockett uh, sharing some memories of Bill Guerin eating at restaurants there at the end uh, of playing Bill Guerin's uh, Minnesota Wild tonight. Two big takeaways there. I mean, obviously, we'll get into this when we hear from Quinn Hughes as well, but no surprise, no surprise that the coach is excited the team has traded a first-round pick for a player who can help him right now and in the future and next year. Uh, no surprise there. Says he hasn't really decided where he wants Ronick to play, if playing with Quinn Hughes is a possibility. And then the one that – and, and you, you brought it up earlier in the show, but JT Miller being a game-time decision because he felt good today, three days after being week, week to, to week. week with a lower body injury. Uh, I don't know. It, I don't know. It, what a – what an unbelievable turn of events. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. Like, that's wild. At some point, at some point, you know, you get to a point where you overuse maintenance days when a guy's really hurt mm. and maintenance days become a joke. Right? Like, you need to at least, you don't owe people a lot of injury information. It's really private to players. We get it. Right? Upper, lower, and a timeline that's at least somewhat reasonable. That's it. Come on. Yeah, it's like they they overcompensated the other way. Instead of saying maintenance day and then it's it turns into two or three weeks, it's like, oh, he's, he's going to be out a few weeks. Oh, actually, never mind. <laughs> he might be good to go. He well, might be good to go tonight. When, when, when the story changes that fast, the only reasonable interpretation is that it's a lie. I don't want to say stuff like that, but like. How else do you how else do you interpret news going forward? How do you else do you interpret a team's updates? Yeah, I, like, am like, I being unreasonable? No, I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to be. The only the only way to look at it is there's something else going on behind the scenes, right? Like that's what the, you're inevitably going to draw that conclusion when it when it swings so wildly, right? Uh, from one and, ex- extreme to the and next. this week, that's a tough thing for a team and a tough spot to put a player in. Yeah, um, I did want to play audio from Quinn Hughes. We don't always hear from the players, uh, but. Um, there's some com- comments from Quinn Hughes, of course, asked about acquiring Philip Ronick that uh, people have been keying in on and texting us about. So we'll, we'll hear from Quinn Hughes and we'll get into some of that on the other side. Here is the Canucks defenseman. Yeah, it should be good and excited for him to get here. Do you know anything about him? I had a chance to talk to anyone really on the team about him. Do you know anything about him or his game? Uh, not really. I mean, we don't play those guys much, but um, I think from what I've seen, he's just you know, two-way defenseman, and he's physical and, uh, you know, competitive and good defensively. So, um, you know, it's a good ad for us. I know you've got friends on that team. Do you reach out to anyone and, and try and find out? I guess Dylan would have had a busy day otherwise yesterday. But... Yeah, I don't I don't even think I texted Dylan. Congratulations. So, got to do that first. Um, but for me, I mean, I just, you know, I'll get to know him when he's here. So, it's not a big deal. From a player's perspective, it's a move by the organization to do more of a, a retool than a rebuild. What does that mean to you as a player who's obviously wired to win? You guys all are in that room to add a player of that caliber. What does it mean to you guys? Yeah, I think um, it's a good point. I mean, obviously, we don't want to be here for a rebuild and have to wait and do all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that we've been playing better hockey in the last couple of games and our structure's been better. and. Um, we're missing a couple guys, and having Demmer back's huge. I mean, he's, you know, probably the biggest um, part of our team. I mean, when he's making saves like he was against Dallas, if we had him the whole season, who knows? But um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think we're, you know, crazy far out um, of competing and, and doing well. 
So for them to do that, it's obviously encouraging, and um, we just got to keep doing our jobs and trying to play hard. Did you have a chance to talk to Shen before he left? Yeah, we talked yesterday, and uh, we played them on Saturday, so I'll see him then as well. Did he give you the heads up that he might be playing Saturday? Or? No, um, no, I didn't ask him about any of that. I don't even think he was with the team at that point when we were talking yesterday. So. But you like to pinch, and if you do pinch and he's in that corner, do you check license plates on Saturday afternoon and make sure it's not a two? I don't think he's going to give anyone any freebies, that's for sure, even me. So, yeah. How do you guys build off of the performance in Dallas as a group? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, even against Boston and a couple of games before, we've been playing you know, pretty good, and our structure's been good, and guys are um, competing and trying their best. And uh, for us, we just kind of, you know, try to do that every every game down the stretch here and um, just keep building as a group. You talk about some of the injuries you have on the back end right now. How impressed have you been with the guys that have come up and stepped into some bigger roles than maybe would normally be expected? Yeah, it hasn't been easy. And, I mean, guys have been playing really good, to be honest. And, you know, Bears, yeah, I think he's been really, you know, playing really good with me. And um, I've been very impressed by him. And then he goes down against Boston. We have five guys. And, Breezer and some of the other guys have stepped up and Willannon and I think Mizey's been playing well and Burr too so um, you know I think that this is a good chance for some of those guys to prove you know what they're about and for guys like me and Mizey we just got to keep you know trying our best and trying to you know help our team out. Brock mentioned yesterday that this trade deadline is obviously a lot harder on him than past years because there seem to be some tangible possible trades uh, how much do you feel for him and uh, I know you're young, but you're also wearing a letter now too. Do you, do you reach out to Brock? Do you, do you talk about it? Or? On it, like we talk about it, but not a lot to be honest. You know, for me, it's been so hectic here. Like I've probably played with 80 teammates, honestly, at this point. So um, with the trade deadline, I don't even pay attention to these things at this point. And uh, you know, I've had a lot of good teammates. You know, the Tanos and the Shens, and you lose guys and um, you gain guys and. So, you know, my perspective is, you know, if anything happens, it happens. But until then, you know, Brock's my teammate and, um, you know, expect to, for him to play his best. The, uh, beast, the East is a beast. Uh, how excited is Jack at the possibilities that the Devils might have of making some noise? Yeah, I think he's really excited. I mean, anytime you add a guy like that, I think they're, everyone in that team was excited. And, you know, they've earned, uh, um, you know, to add a guy like that with the way they've played this year and, um you know, I'm excited for, you know, even my brother Luke at some point when he gets there. I think that it's going to be fun for him as well. That is Canucks defenseman Luke, Quinn Hughes. Luke Shen knows so, or sorry, Quinn Hughes knows so much news that he doesn't want to break. He's like, I'm even excited for my brother Luke. It's like, if he gets there who, at some who's point. Who's signing there after the season, but I can't say that. What about Luke playing him on Saturday? Will he be in the lineup? I didn't ask. <laughs> Uh, Quinn is so good. Quinn is so good. He's honestly become so good at the media stuff, considering where he was when I first started covering the team. Mm-hmm. And listening to him stick handle that stuff was just honestly an, a, amazing because he's so funny about it. He's so like his delivery is kind of monotone, but when you're yes. around him, you realize that the energy levels doesn't match the audio. You know, like I'm sure he was laughing at little bits of that. I've, I just thought it was. A, a real sign of growth for, from Hughes to sort of stick handle that many questions where he's like, I know the answer, but I can't tell you, but I'll do it politely. Well done. So Kudos. A, a bunch of interesting things there. And the one that's gotten the most play is the, you know, we don't want to be here for a rebuild. 
You're, you're, so you're telling me that no a guy. No kidding. You're telling me that a guy whose two brothers are gearing up for like an absolute going to capture the attention, not just of the hockey world, but potentially of mainstream American sports media too, with that Rangers Devils series on the line. You're telling me that guy doesn't want to play for a team that's losing for several more years? No, no way. No kidding. Breaking. Can we have the. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? That can't be the standard for whether the trade makes sense or not. Like, has there no. ever been a trade where a team gave up a first-round pick to get a player who is can help them right now, and the players on the team were like, eh. They always like it. Also, They're always excited about it. Also, They're players. That's what they do. Also, like, whether you want to be here for a rebuild or not. Like, a rebuild implies intentional losing. Mm -hmm. That's hard to stomach. Whether you want to be here for a rebuild or not, you know what you definitely don't want? More years like this. More years where Quinn Hughes can say, I've had 80 teammates in the last three years. Like, Yeah, that stood out too. That to me stood out way more. You have teammates and you lose them and it is what it is. That, it's been I think the word he used was hectic Yeah, since he got there. That, that, meant, that to me spoke far louder than, yeah, obviously we don't want to be here for a rebuild. Like that's, that's rote. The... Thinking about the trade deadline and losing teammates and being like, well, we've had a lot of churn and not a lot of success. That stands out way more to me. Anyway, is and, what and it is. And you just think, go back through the like greatest hits of moves that didn't work out. Win now moves that didn't work out for the Canucks. Like, like OEL. Mm. You don't think players on the Canucks were excited that they acquired OEL? That they gave up they a first round pick for OEL and Connor Garland? I bet they were over the moon. We got a, this is guy's number one defenseman in the NHL, former captain with his team. I bet they were absolutely thrilled. That didn't make it a good move. You think they were excited when they signed Jay Beagle coming off a of Stanley Cup and Antoine Roussel to help the bottom six? Yeah, I guarantee you guys in that locker room were excited when they made those transactions, when they signed Tyler Myers on the back end. Players are always going to be excited for those moves, but that you can't let that dictate your decision-making process. That can't be the litmus test for whether or not the move makes sense. Yes, I understand you have to manage the relationship with your star players. But again, Quinn Hughes is under contract for four more seasons after this one. You've also, again, once again, you've put yourself in this position by not doing the hard moves earlier. Now you're in this situation where you feel like your back is up against the wall because you're trying to keep these guys happy. Whereas if you'd been done the discipline, smart things earlier, you'd be in a much better position with them. But again, we cannot let that quote from Quinn Hughes. Oh, no one wants We don't want to be here for a rebuild justify any kind of rash, irrational decision-making from the well, Canucks. I, yeah, players like when you're when the team goes out and trade for guys. Of course they do. Again, I don't – My part of my issue with this deal is that I don't buy that it makes them better. You know, like you'd rather – obviously Quinn Hughes would rather they add Hironic than lose Luke Shen and Bo Horvat. Right? But it's not like this is a buyer's team. And no, you I, mean that he'd rather – Oh, like, then lose them for nothing. Well, mean. no, I'm saying, like, it's from a player's perspective, when they trade Bo Horvat and trade Luke Shen, that's tough. Yeah. When they add Philip Ronick for picks, that's good. You want a better team. Obviously, Guy prefers better team. But also, it's been hectic. There's been a lot of teammates. I don't have control over who comes and goes, right? I lobbied for them to keep Chris Tanev. <laughs> like, that's... Not me personally. I actually didn't, but Quinn Hughes did, right? I mean, you can't, you can't focus 
on what players think the right moves are. You have to just make the right moves for mm-hmm. the team. I just don't understand how the Hronik trade is the right move for this team right You've now. You've got to trust – I was going to say trust your process unironically, but you do. You have to trust your plan. That, that's, what? That, that the end result of your plan, if you stick to it, is going to be what ultimately convinces but, the players. But again, what plan, what process? You know, I, I, I mean, agree. Look, you know, but you I, know, I know what I'm I, saying. I, sorry. I, you know, I, you I'm, know not, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, you, So much as I just want to emphasize this. Like, uh, I'm saying in, in a world where it was being done properly, that's what you do. Right, you don't make these short-term moves to try to appease them. Which, again, if they don't work out, make it even worse, put you in an even worse situation. And again, it's not as if you've guaranteed yourself a playoff berth. So maybe now you've hurt your future and not moved the needle significantly enough. If you're worried about maintaining your relationship with Hughes and Pedersen, doing that is certainly not going to help it. Doing that's certainly not going to help it. You have to just have the confidence. You have to have a plan, first of all. I agree. That's that's job number one. And have the confidence that sticking to it is going to be what convinces your guys. And I'm absolutely not here for the this has always been the plan. I want to be careful with our trade, said Rutherford, on the day he was hired. I don't want to trade draft picks unless they're later round picks. It's not the cycle we're in to trade draft picks. What's he seen since that's convinced him that the time is now? Right? Because, again, if you speak out of both sides of your mouth, then anyone who wants to cobble together whatever narrative they want can say, hey, this was the plan all along. Look at these threads I'm pulling. This team is closer than people might think, Rutherford said the day he came on. And then after the Bruce Boudreaux bump said, this team hasn't played well enough. Like, what we're, where would we be if not for our goalie? And then double down on the roster. I mean, it's all been disassembling. I see no concrete, coherent plan. No through line that makes sense with any level of consistency. And if you're ascribing 4D chess to an organization that's throwing stuff at the wall, like power to you. But that's not sufficient to be a plan. It's not. I'm sorry. It's and not even a concept. That almost blew up my headphones. <laughs> sorry. Uh, the one, and the one that stands out to me just before we sign off is uh, the, the constant talk of carving out cap flexibility. And instead, they've added net like twenty five. Seriously, twenty five million plus to next no, year's salary cap sheet. If there's a plan, it's getting harder and harder to detect, and far harder to justify. All right, special trade deadline coverage tomorrow. We're on early at ten a.m. We'll have you through the deadline and up to one o'clock. And of course, it's wall to wall live coverage here on Sportsnet six fifty for the trade deadline. So make sure you tune in. We're on at 10. Should be a very, very interesting day. Uh, Thanks for listening. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.